The following episode is brought to you by Daryl Delaney, Ryan Royce, Darren Katzka, Jessica Smith, Irene Viarito, Laura Pickren, Eric Whitman, Devious Pop-Tart, Elizabeth Clark, Andy Dossett, Natasha Rallerson, Richard Cree, The Cam Family, Charles Compton, Edvarth Arnoff, Dustin Troop, Rebecca Miller, Michael Clark, and David Scrams, along with all of our generous patrons. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Welcome to Eberron Renewed, an actual play RPG podcast set in the Eberron campaign setting. I am your host, Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy. And I'm Eric. And as you may notice, I am not Jeff. Jeff is on a vision quest in Uzbekistan today, and so I am filling in for him to host this episode of Eberron Reviewed, covering the Dragon's First Breath. Arc and the family dinner downtime episode. Uh, but first, let's go through uh, a little bit of a recap of this arc. So, Eric, uh, talk to us a little bit about obligation. This is a Genesis thing, and we've discussed it a little bit in session zero, I believe. But this whole arc was defined by rolling Eris's obligation. Yes. So at the end of last session, we rolled and Eris's popped up. And we were able to get Olive DeCaneth in the mix, who is uh, intrinsically tied to Eris's obligation. So each character has an obligation and a score attached to that. And then based on actions they take in the campaign, that score might go up, might go down. The obligation might completely resolve itself and they have to pick a new obligation. So at so the end that, of each, yeah. uh, you said obligations can resolve themselves. Is that a mechanical thing where if the obligation reaches zero, it's considered resolved? Or is that a purely narrative thing where if the story of the obligation is over, then it has resolved? Both. Uh, I mean, it, an obligation reaching zero doesn't necessarily mean that that obligation is done and gone. Han Solo might have paid off all of his debts to Jabba, but then... He has to take another job and all of a sudden he's back up to 10 or something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's really up to the player once they get their obligation down to zero. If they're like, I want to try something different. And so we work together and introduce a new obligation into the, into the campaign. Cool. So, so yeah. as as the person planning out the campaign, I'm curious, how do you feel when. Obligation gets rolled and it means that. Now the next session has to be about this or interrupted by it or something like that. Like, does that make your job? You feel like that makes your job harder or is it fun? Like, What is your. So I, I do a house rule that makes it fun and interesting in that I roll at the end of sessions as opposed to what the actual rules state rolling at the beginning of a session. Because if you roll at the beginning of a session, you're just like, oh, well, everything I've planned is now. uh kind of cattywampus mm-hmm. but uh rolling at the end of the session gives me the chance to plan out like okay when we rolled Eris's obligation it's okay how do do i want to plan the whole session around this or do i want to have it be a kind of standard job that gets affected by Eris's obligation and so obviously with this one it was Eris's obligation comes calling and the whole session is based around this obligation that Eris has to Olive. Did you design this special for that? Or was this sort of an arc you kind of had in mind? And when the obligation was rolled, you tied it to the obligation? No, I have a pretty good outline and idea of what everyone's obligation looks like and what stories I want to tell when those come up. So obviously like Reynard's obligation being family, like that's a Mm -hmm. pretty rich vein to, to mine from. And so I have, I have some notes in my notebook. That's like, okay, when his obligation gets rolled, here are some different ways that can manifest. And so, 
having said all that, the what actually happened to this arc with Norsen uh, and Jerome and all that stuff was specifically set aside for when Olive came calling. Basically, okay. it, it was not going to happen outside of Eris's obligation. Cool. So, uh, all right. So yes, so we got um, Eris got a request. Uh, the the oh. very first thing was oh, yes. the sigil cold open. Yes, that's right. We got a new cold open uh, for yes. that. So how was that experience of recording solo? Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah. it, it took a couple of takes of just kind of stopping and going back a few sentences. But yeah, it, it was it was cool. I definitely wanted to give that level of insight into Sigil's backstory because I think they have a very interesting story and want to start start revealing that a bit more. Mm-hmm. And uh, an interesting thing, though, that you and I had a conversation after that episode came out about how how that information gets revealed to you all versus the audience and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting moving forward because just to pull back the curtain for the audience, the players had no idea about that until the episode aired. Yeah, uh, that 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 was a fact about Sigil. So yeah. it was interesting to me, like particularly because after in the last review, there were some questions about Eris's view on uh, on on Kyre and New Kyre and all of that stuff, and I hadn't honestly put any thought into that. Uh, and it made me put some thought into that. And what I had landed on is that Eris doesn't care much about new Kyre, but she's very uh, invested or she's, she's, she's very admiring of uh, Merrick's and house Kenneth because she sees that as sort of the way forward for the survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this sigil story involving Merrick's was very interesting to me on, on that level. Yeah. Um, but well, it was really good. I mean, regardless of uh, it, it being interesting how how we will learn that later on. But it was it was cool. Uh, and yeah. Got a lot of really positive feedback from our yeah. uh, listeners. So uh, it more will happen. Uh, we'll, we'll have some cold opens featuring NPCs. And I would like to start mixing and matching characters in the cold opens at some point. Having Eris and Reynard going to the theater, which is something we had talked about. They enjoy doing together and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So. Uh, we will we will see how that continues to manifest itself, but I enjoyed it. Cool. And then the arc began. Yes. And so we have uh, Olive ask a favor of Eris involving some research of hers that's been stolen. Uh, and Eris brings Olive to meet the crew uh, and pitches this as a job that Olive has asked and that Eris claims to have already negotiated the price and all of these things like that. But essentially the job, the uh, research has been stolen by a patron of house Kenneth. Is that what, how you would describe him? Of house Kenneth. He is a consultant, I think okay. would be the, the, the term. He is not formally a member of the house, but he works with them. Okay. Uh, named Norson Millhatch. And I can't remember. Are you, is, is this, reviewed where you're willing to explain the algorithm that generated that name or is that no, at the very end of the campaign that, that algorithm is being used for a number of npcs so okay. I, I don't want to give away the goose excellent uh well it's a fabulous name well thank you um so uh research has been stolen by norson millhatch uh, and we take uh, a job or we we accept the job from olive uh which Eris essentially is pitching to the group as a favor to her uh, on behalf of Olive. Uh, And there's some interesting interplay with Milo attempting to sort of pry into what exactly is going on with this person. Um, And Eric ended up imposing some strain from some roles uh, Mm -hmm. there. Uh, so, Randy, you want to want to talk about that? What is what is Milo picking at? Well, um, Milo, this it, it's I think it's Milo likes Eris mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot. And her being young, he's concerned about her. What is she getting herself into? You know, it's 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 more of like a protective role that he's coming from mm-hmm. and and I think he kind of gets he kind of got uncomfortable when he noticed 
that he was making Eris uncomfortable. Right. And that's that's why he backed off. Because he mm-hmm. doesn't want to upset Eris, but he cares for Eris. So he's like, what's going on? What, what, what are we doing here? I, I think it was from that standpoint for Milo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, um, uh, we end up taking the job uh, and heading out in our new, at least semi-sentient uh, vehicle. Uh, the mm-hmm. full range of sentience has not been explored yet. Uh, Tasha, um, our uh, our air, our sky cat, sky coach, uh, to go and case the joint, as it were, to uh, investigate Millhatch's uh, laboratory, uh, and the session ended i believe with us at the lot or the not session the first episode ended with us at the laboratory uh observing things yes so episode two was us breaking into the laboratory well uh, spotting a couple of individuals once you got to the rooftop yes Trevor spotted his favorite woman yes or reynard <laughs> rather that was, was a wonderful facial expression trevor I'm, so, I'm sorry the listeners couldn't see it. Maybe I should give it a noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we spot Posey uh, and her big companion. And I didn't know I was hosting this, so I don't have notes. What's the what's the big guy's name again, Eric? Uh, Salmon Calloway. Salmon Calloway. Uh, excellent. Um, so we have... And who, sorry, at the top of the second episode, whose cold open was that? Uh, I believe that was, I think that was Hob and Calf. That was Hob and Calf, yeah, Hob and Calf. That's right, uh, and we don't have Jeff to talk about that. That was the the thing that, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we have Hob and Calf beat up a bunch of uh, rich kids who are uh, bringing Fool's Hope. Is that what the drug yep. was? Fool's Hope mm-hmm. into, did you make that one up or was that out of one of the books? That's straight out of exploring Eberron. Okay. So, yep. It's uh, it's uh, a plant that grows in the manifest zones of Irian, the the plane of hope. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, what are the effects of Fool's Hope? Um, it, it makes you uh, relieved of any form of fear and convinced that you are invincible and capable of anything. And in a city like Sharn, that's just made that's, of towers. That's real. That's real bad. Yep. So <laughs> it gives you this very euphoric state of mind. So, yeah. So. But we got some interesting insight between Kath and Hob. They they discussed a few members of the party, and uh, I, I know at least one listener did not care at all for Hob talking about uh, his friends behind their back. Yes, my but, daughter had some opinions about that. You're not supposed <laughs> to talk about your friends behind their back. It's so, not polite. <clears throat> but yeah, they talked about uh, Eris and Milo and Sana, mm-hmm. I believe, were the three topics of conversation. But yeah, it was fun. It was it was fun to get to. I, I've always liked the idea of uh, it's very evocative of me of the what I've said in our discord is my favorite scene from Thor Ragnarok, where Thor and Loki are just fighting their way through uh, these wave after wave of bad guys on their way to the the hangar and having this really intense conversation, uh, a lot of really great character stuff while combat is happening around them. And mm-hmm. I was trying to evoke that by telling Jeff, OK, these guys are so bar- far below you and Kath's level from a combat standpoint. So we don't need to worry about that. We're just going to role play through the combat. So mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it. And, um, and I think I think a game developed between me and Jeff when we were role playing it, if you go back and listen to it, that totally makes sense for Hob and Kath to be playing in fiction of trying to describe more and more elaborate, like one upping each other on the, the combat moves that they are doing while mm-hmm. talking. So I really enjoyed that aspect of the the escalation of the absurdity of these uh, these power moves that these two characters are doing. But, yes. Yeah. Literally flexing. <laughs> but yes. So on the rooftop, uh, Salman and Posey are spotted along with Norson Milhatch and Jerome DeCaneth, who's the mm-hmm. actual uh, house heir uh, who's present in this laboratory. Now, um, that was an interesting thing to me uh, with the relationship between Norson and the house being somewhat informal. 
So is this a Caneth facility that Millhatch is allowed to run, or is this Millhatch's facility and he's been loaned some Caneth heirs? So yeah, this is, Mil- this is Millhatch Research HQ. So essentially the way Olive kind of described it at the beginning of the first episode, I think, is that Millhatch has a, a brilliant mind for this kind of thing rivaling even Merrick's in terms of his imagination to come up with creations. He just is cursed with the inability to actually realize those creations. Mm-hmm. And so he provides the house with some designs and things like that in exchange for a crew of uh, Kenneth people to work in his research facility. Yeah. And is Milhas Milhas research the official Canon name of his, uh, of his company or does it have something fancier to it? Uh, Millhatch Research is what it is right now. So, uh, yeah. So we we have another layer of all of this with the presence of uh, Posey DeCanis, uh and um, not not her canon name. <laughs> well, I know, but I don't want to just call her the lady. I know. I'm just reminding uh, the audience that we yes. did not find out her name, and it is not. Yeah, Posey. we we do not know her name, but Posey DeCanis is her name until we learn it. But at this uh, point in the session, everybody's real hopeful that you're going to learn her name. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Hope springeth eternal. Um, yeah. And we don't yet know the big guy's name uh, until later on. Yep. Uh, so we eventually decide to just go for it because Norson is about to get into the classic uh, big cylinder of colored mist. Mm hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, Hob jumps in and the fight kicks off. We just sort of blast our way in and the we have sort of a back and forth with Eris and Jerome trying to break and unbreak the control panel yep. uh, while Hob and Milo, Milo beat up the laboratory assistants. <laughs> and Reynard just steals it, it to, all to, to do the job. That's Rain- my M.O. <laughs> Reynard steals it all. Um, but yeah, that that episode culminates with Reynard grabbing everything and Eris running around to go get the car. Yeah, we bring Tasha around, and Reynard and Eris enter the lobby at the same time and run smack into Posey, uh, Sans her gigantic friend, who at this point in the arc is called Biggin. Uh, <laughs> But then um, but yeah. the car comes to us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And incapacitates uh, our posing friend. <laughs> yeah, uh, so next episode. We get Reynard's cold open, uh, which yes. was done, I think, entirely improvisationally because you had a scheduling yeah. malfunction. And uh, Reynard <laughs> and, and uh, Trevor stepped in. So, so yeah. how, how did you design that on the flyer? Did you have that in your pocket for whenever you were going to do a Reynard cold open or the next one? Uh, it was it was an idea that I had. It's not exactly how I intended it to. It was going to be a later on cold open potentially with Reynard and Sana going to a fancy dress party, mm-hmm. uh, which might potentially come up later. But uh, because we hadn't started doing mixed. uh mixed groups yet i i wanted to hold off so and and it just made uh, a lot of fun and a lot of sense to have reynard like re showing that reynard still goes into the upper parts of the city Mm -hmm. to live his old life kind of thing which was a lot of fun so 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 trevor in in your cold opens i have observed that a lot of reynard's reaction to any kind of confrontation is just to see how far you can keep the witty one-line banter going back and forth. To what degree is that Trevor having fun, and to what degree is that uh, Reynard, Reynard's defense mechanism, or are they see, different? I think I've misunderstood what charming is. Because <laughs> that's me trying to be charming. <laughs> And kind of just, you know, using wit to maybe weasel my way out of a situation mm-hmm. or just okay. kind of um, prolong the inevitable, at least. So, <laughs> I mean, char- charm is somewhat in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Plenty of people find Reynard perfectly charming. I'm sure just, that's true. There you go. <laughs> just not Philip. <laughs> I wasn't objecting to it. I was just. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I, I had observed that in both of his, so it's curious. But no, I just kind of, I felt like that was the relationship established in the first cold open with that, um, with that detective character. And um, so I just. Verla, right? Verla, Verla. Eric. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I just wanted to keep building on top of that, that that was definitely their relationship, at least. So. Mm-hmm. So I was interested. Eric asked you a bunch of questions that gave you opportunities to make Reynard seem softer and more sympathetic as far as like Reynard's view towards the opulence and, and absurd level of crazy wealth around him. And you didn't take any of them. Like you're like, <laughs> Nope, he's, he, he, he wants it back. If he could have it all back tomorrow, he would do it at the drop of a hat. And he's jealous of all these people that they still have. So why, why did you decide that? Um, That's just a trait that is on my character sheet being selfish. So I <laughs> I took the ball and ran with it. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So I'm still kind of developing this character, but we all I, are. We've played we've played I'm four hoping, sessions. <laughs> hoping at some point there's a a, a growth and a, a evolution of of this person because right now he's not that great of a guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're all criminals. <laughs> um yeah yeah so um so that uh that's the cold open for that one and then yes we begin the next one with an outright fight between hob and jerome and then hob and norson Mm -hmm. Uh, we avoid a fight thanks to some triumphs with posey although I'm, i'm curious would she have fought us she has I with I mean, I feel like I gave this indication through describing yeah. her posturing and her yeah. gesturing. She was not interested in a fight mm-hmm. like she like. It was two against one for one, and she's far too smart to take those odds. And then, yeah, she she was not interested in fighting you all. So didn't, yeah. didn't at some uh, point you said we were not ready for her anyway. <laughs> I don't recall that, but <laughs> it's entirely possible. I thought um, I thought maybe you had said you don't want to fight her because you're not ready. She definitely <laughs> was not ready for Tasha. No, no correct. <laughs> just, just as she was about to declare her name, uh, <laughs> Tasha comes busting in through the, the wall. Uh, and then so. we had to talk, uh, talk Hob down. Um from continuing his fight with Norson in order to get him into the into the cab and escaping. Uh, and uh, that is the other thing I'm, I'm bummed that Jeff couldn't be here is that uh, it would be fun to hear Jeff talk about how he made that decision, because it seemed pretty in doubt for a minute there as to whether yeah. or not we were going to get him to we were going to get him to leave. Well, and I like that. Uh, I like that thus far it's becoming very clear that all of you have your your different things that like you all are all about like professionalism and doing the job and getting the job done unless <laughs> this like with with hobbits unless there's somebody like tough that i can punch right with um and so i really like having that wrinkle of like coming out of the last arc where hob was just all business because there wasn't anything interesting for him so he's like no let's just go do the thing whereas eris was really struggling in that whole arc and then we get the inverse of Eris has no interest in sticking around and fighting just because. Right. Uh, but Hob definitely wants to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like I like getting that that those little insights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was this the first arc where we got to see Milo's wand, Randy? I'm trying to remember. I think it was. I, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. The, the charred piece of wood. So I'm interested at what point did you decide that's what your wand was going to look like and, and kind of the story behind that? Well, I thought, you know, when the bar burnt down and he lost Kylie at some point, he would have went back to see if there was anything salvageable, a memory of his wife, you know, something. Yeah. And he couldn't find anything. I mean, it was just pretty well torched, gone. And as he's leaving, for some reason, his attention is drawn 
to this piece of wood, this little stick. And he recognize, recognizes, based on where it's at, that it's actually a cross brace that was on the stool that Kylie always sat on. Mm-hmm. So that's like his only memory of Kylie. And, and to think that it could just be you know, from a stool, like this is it. Yeah. And so that's what he picks up. And I, in my mind, I kind of think that maybe that's at the point to where he starts hearing Kylie's voice, maybe. Okay. You know, he starts hearing a voice. You know, and at first he thinks it's just his thoughts. You know, mm-hmm. he's just hearing things that she would normally say. And then, you know, and he thinks maybe at some point that, is this really her? Am I going crazy? Am I crazy? So that's kind of the story of the wand. It was like the only thing salvageable and something that he found that reminded him of her. Very cool. So uh, I'm curious, Randy, Milo is not tough at all. Um, so what physically, 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 yes, definitely not. Milo is, uh, uh, squishy in, um, in gaming parlance, uh, and also capable of lots of destructive ranged abilities. So what makes Milo leap down onto the warehouse floor surrounded by bad guys? Um, I think he, Hob has protected Milo for some time. And, and not too long ago, Milo had no magic. Milo's just running numbers out of a bar. He's just, you know, your mm-hmm. average, ordinary, everyday halfling. And, and not the brightest tool in the shed. Not dumb, but, you know, Kylie mm-hmm. pretty much took care of the business end. And now that he has some ability, he looks up to Hob as his protector. But now, hey, he has a chance to protect Hob and his other friends, of course, also. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just envision Milo at the top of that warehouse getting ready to put barrier on Hob. And then Hob goes crashing through before he has a chance. Mm-hmm. So I don't think. Milo even thought it was just like, oh my gosh, there goes Hob. I got to go. So he just drops down in there to protect his friend. Cool. Uh, but eventually, and that's one get... of his characteristics. One of his characteristics is, I think it's courageous or one of those to where, you know, he just, he's not afraid of the danger. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And after what has happened to him, I don't know if there's a bit of recklessness because. You know, he still mourns the loss of his wife. You know, maybe the sooner he's gone, the sooner he can join her. Maybe that's going through his head. So I don't think he's really reckless, reckless. I just think he he just wants to protect his friends now that he feels like, hey, I can do something. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and eventually we get the. Um, we get Hobba into the into the cab uh, and burst out through the skylights and off back to the four sails uh, and return Olive's research. Uh, and somewhere, as well as all, oh, as well the, as other all the other research. Yes. Good job, Reynard. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's the right call. I think that needs to be our, our MO from now on is none of this like searching around for the precise thing to steal. We just steal everything. We everything. Re- anytime we're sent on a, on a, on a take it job, on a, on a stealing job, just ransack the place. <laughs> um, I, I think that's that's just good business. Until uh, the point in time in- comes that we steal <laughs> everything and we go, only to find out there was a hidden compartment somewhere that has what we were looking for. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. Until, it. until it's not in the filing cabinet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and somewhere in there. Um, Eris speaks un- speaks without care and uh, blows the very very bad deception she's been running. Um, 
uh, to where she's been not quite letting on to Olive that she is part of this crew. Uh, yeah. And so now Olive knows uh, that of Eris as well. So, uh, and I think that brings us up to the end of the arc. Uh, so we have some listener questions. Um, Indeed. Uh, all right. So first, starting off from our Q&A tier, uh, we have a question from Darren uh, for Eric. Did you ever consider using a Forged in the Dark system for Campaign 2? And for those of you that don't know, Forged in the Dark uh, has a number of systems. The most, the original and most famous one is Blades in the Dark, which is all about criminal syndicates in a big city. Yep. And heists and all, all kinds of really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. No is the short answer, uh, simply because that system wasn't super on my radar when I was mulling about what I wanted to do for campaign two. And the biggest system that was on my mind coming out of kind of a, a bit of fatigue with fifth edition was Genesis. I, I really thought that Eberron could flourish in the system. And so that that's what we went with. And Forged in the Dark was never really on my radar. But it is a really cool system. So maybe in three years, we'll see see what happens. Well, and of course, our policy of widespread theft is uh, applicable because there are a lot of a lot of mechanics in Blades in the Dark that one could swipe yeah. and apply to other systems. Absolutely. Um, and in a sense, we kind of already are kind of accidentally. It wasn't, I think, inspired specifically by this. But I think Blades in the Dark also does the rotation of go on a job, have a downtime, go on a job, have a downtime, uh, which we yeah. are doing. Uh, OK, uh, Richard asks, concerning the main job and the Hob Cath cold open, how much freedom do members of the Boromar clan have for selecting the jobs they go on? Are they free to just do whatever they want until the clan calls or do they need approval from the main halfling? Uh, Richard can't remember his name um, for every job, uh, for every job they do, since they could be considered clan resources and getting hurt on a non-clan job could possibly be considered a breach of contract. So first and foremost, the crew as they stand right now are definitely at will employees. They're not under contract by Boromar and Boromar owes them very little, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, and th- it, it, it's a question of how busy the clan keeps you. So the higher up you move within the clan, the more the clan needs your talents and uses them. And so where the crew is right now, they're pretty low on the totem pole. So it's like, hey, when we have a job that we need done that we don't want to be easily traced back to the clan, we'll call you. If, if you don't get a call from us, you're you're free to do whatever kind of thing. So the clan isn't keeping close tabs on the party yet. If they continue doing well, then that might begin to change. But yeah, uh, I have a follow up to that. How much. So I I initially thought the twist of that arc was going to be, whoops, these guys are, in fact, Boromar. How yeah. how much does the clan keep our crew in the loop of their activities in our in our neighborhood? I would say at least Grum is really like knowledgeable. So if if somebody were to go to Grum and be like, hey, like presumably Kath did of, hey, there's these guys selling Fool's Hope down here. Are they related to the clan in any way? Grum would be able to very quickly have a turnaround and say yes or no. And then that would be green light, red light kind of thing. Okay. So you all definitely have the resources to figure out if you don't know outright. But you all are pretty knowledgeable about what goes on in your neighborhood and what is clan business and what is not. Okay. Yeah, I cool. would think Milo would have some of that info based on yeah, you yeah, know, trucking around at different places. Hmm. Uh, all right. Um, I'm interested in the last part of the question though. Would would us getting hurt and uh, if if Hob had been injured on the job uh, on the the non clan business, uh, or if any of us had been hurt doing Olive's uh, job, uh, would we be in trouble with the clan? I feel like you would be in trouble with Grum. Okay. Like, I, I don't I don't know if the clan would care too much. They just hire uh, somebody just, else. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Grum's reputation and income that's kind of on the line with you all being ready and able to to take jobs. Okay. So that that would be the 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 line that gets crossed if you all get hurt not doing clan business. That makes sense. 
Uh, all right. Uh, Laura would like to know whether Norson uh, was in any way inspired by the 2002 epic Spider-Man starring Toby McGuire, Toby McGuire and Willem Dafoe. I mean, if you all are in the Discord listeners, then you saw at least a couple of gifts going around after that episode released of Norson in the Tube uh, with the Red Mist. And I mean, yeah, there there's definitely points of inspiration that come from I, I'm a huge comic book nerd and I love superhero movies. So, yeah, I mean, that that was at least part of the point of inspiration for Norson's transformation was that that very cool scene from the 2002 epic Spider-Man starring Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, Philip and I have never made any secret of our, uh, penchant to steal things for our tabletop games. So, yep, you, you got me. <laughs> uh, Eric wants to know what upgrade sigil got from Merrick's in the cold open. So uh, this was something that was cut for time. Uh, I know it's shocking that as long as that cold open was that I cut something for time. But yeah, it, it was supposed to be an implication of the thing that Sigil can do with other dragon things that require a dragon mark. That was part of what Merrick's did uh, did to them was was Sigil's ability to to do that kind of thing. So there might be more to it. We'll see. Stay tuned. But yeah, that's that's the the upgrade they got cool uh eric also wants to know uh for trevor uh did trevor know about the history of bird masks on everon renewed when he made the choice to wear an owl mask i did not <laughs> do you now wait wait no i do from the last campaign mm -hmm. i yes. l i listened yeah. to that one because i'm not on it <laughs> um but i i i did not put two or two together before i said i want to wear an owl mask <laughs> yeah in my head i i was smiling from ear to ear like oh he went with a bird mask that's phenomenal but for for all the people that listen to campaign one that are now listening to this campaign that was a fun fun moment i'm sure yes. but i i made an effort to have every other mask that appeared in that cold open not be avian based because you so. didn't want us to hunt down and murder <laughs> the <laughs> the attendees just, of yeah. that party i just wanted to implement gold and so for some reason the first thing that popped into my mind was gold owl feathers so I yeah did it. cool totally awesome <laughs> uh then richard wants to know i presume this is at eric is sharn just fantasy new york should we be paying attention to different borough accents to place npcs or <laughs> <laughs> Or am I giving Eric too much credit? Um, I mean, give me as much credit as you want, because uh, I am a brilliant genius who is a masterful storyteller. No, uh, it, it's Sharn is a is a metropolitan place with uh, opulent districts and less opulent districts. I mean, so I mean, Sharn is definitely fantasy New York, and it has nothing to do with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, I mean, I but. I am not either knowledgeable nor adept enough with my voice work ability to file down my accent to different boroughs. So don't don't you worry about that. Don't don't give me that much credit on my my accent game. So uh, if somebody sounds like they're from the Bronx and somebody else sounds like they're from Brooklyn, that's just uh, what <laughs> I maybe watched a movie that shifted my accent a bit. So, yeah, no, I'm not getting that that detailed. Yeah, but. Uh, all right. And then we have a few questions from our uh, from just from uh, non Q&A patrons, but from the Eberron Reviewed discussion uh, channel. And since we have some time, we'll go to those. Uh, uh, put a marker. Do we know Essex's proper name and does Essex use their proper name? Um, not off the top of my head. Do I know? OK, then we'll just go with Essex. Uh, OK, Essex asks. Uh, I have a question for Eric, which may belong to DM Brain Trust, but I'll put it here in case he wants to answer when reviewed. I'm curious why you elected to include Sigil, Kath, and Sauna uh, in the campaign as regularly recurring NPCs that go on jobs versus maybe just a single NPC that could act as a group handler, giving them jobs, letting them get to it. As a GM DM, I tend to limit NPCs 
So I have less to keep track of, uh, but also to move things along. I've noticed that it tends to draw out both combats and skill challenges with extra rolling, and they sometimes also sometimes fade into the background and are forgotten. Like that cleric in the first campaign. What was his name? Oh, Echo, uh, you will forever be a meme on our show. <laughs> so, yeah, this, first off, it's a very fair question. Uh, obviously, having four PCs at the table, introducing three more NPCs that are supposed to interact in a meaningful way with the story is is a lot. And I, I think it's it, it's a certain way of thinking about it, because I feel like if I had done a single NPC then that acted as the group's handler gives them jobs, let them go do it. Then that, that would just be very much a mouthpiece for the DM. Like when, when you have that in that NPC that just gives the jobs, then that's just very much kind of a, a hub NPC. that's like, okay, here's your next quest. Go do it. And I didn't want that. That's why Grum hasn't featured a whole lot on the show, even though that's technically his role is because I don't want to have that feel of a single person that is me within the game world giving them their quest. The reason for Kath, Sigil, and Sauna is it's not something that I can fully go into because it 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 plays into the, the overarching story and things that haven't been revealed about their characters still yet to come. But I wanted to have a a small group of NPCs that could be alongside the PCs to answer any in-world questions or provide any insights about the clan or jobs or anything like that. Should they come up and also wanted to show a level of diversity with the crew. And I I don't know this is something that on the geek Pantheon YouTube channel, I did a video not too long ago about things to do before your session zero and kind of deciding what you want out of the campaign as a as a game master and communicating that at session zero so the players can buy in properly and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things, one of the examples I gave was very much from my own experience with this campaign and prepping for it of do you want to have NPCs that are meaningful and matter and are for the narrative purposes I'm putting air quotes on equal footing with the PCs. And that's just speaking from a narrative standpoint, not an actual practice, because obviously the PCs are the PCs. But uh, making that decision and then communicating that to your players at session zero, which the party was made aware that like I was going to be creating these three characters. They are members of the crew. They are your friends. They are meaningful and and should be treated as such. And so that's why I created them. Is it something that I wanted to do? I wanted to have this crew really feel like a family. And I feel like having some NPCs that can be the glue between disparate PCs that maybe don't have the strongest relationship would be beneficial. Um, And I know this is a very long answer, but there's a, there's a multitude of reasons why I included these characters. And I understand from a GM standpoint I mean, I, I was I was as guilty of it as anybody with Aiko and Rickard and Paolo. And like they would be on jobs and we would all forget they were there and then be like, oh, hey, what's up? And I, I've had a couple slip ups already in this campaign uh, with the, the Halden job where it was like all three of the NPCs went with them and I would forget about them and they'd be like, oh, yeah, they're there. So we we have made an adjustment in the arc that's coming up just to not spo- spoil anything. But this is just a structural thing where we're going to try to maybe like limit with like not having all three of them go on every job kind of thing uh, to, to prevent that from happening. Uh, but I feel like the cold opens, I feel like the downtime episodes really afford us the opportunity to cement these NPCs as people that belong alongside the PCs. And that's just something that I wanted to do in this game. And so that's, that's why I did it is because it's something I wanted to do. And I feel like it's been pretty good thus far. So we'll see how it continues. I, I would right. like to say that um, I'm really enjoying the NPCs and I really like the downtimes. I really, really liked the, the family get together, the feast, because it, it kind of, made me think that, you know, Milo probably really gets along with Sana. You know, Milo mm-hmm. likes to go to events. So when Sana asks him, you know, he's, yeah, let's go. And, you know, and Sana's really pleased with Milo. So I'm thinking, you know, there's probably some type of a relationship there that could be explored. Yeah. So, so I'm really enjoying the NPCs. 
Awesome. That's good to hear. Uh, all right. Um, next question is from Darren, uh, who asks, Eric, what would you have done differently with campaign two if exploring Eberron had been out before you started? Honestly, there's not a whole lot. And we're still early enough in the campaign two to where now that the book is out, I've been able to implement things that I like. But Sharn is really heavily covered in Rising from the Last War and not touched on that much in exploring Eberron. So there's there's not a whole lot. We're not going to be doing a plane jumping like epic high fantasy, which exploring Eberron touches on much more. So not a whole lot, honestly. Uh, exploring Eberron is much more in campaign one territory than campaign two. Well, of course, because we already finished that's, campaign one. And that's, yeah, that's the way our lives go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and there's of course, there's the ultimate Sharn city of towers from yeah. The 3.5 where you get an entire book mm-hmm. on Sharn. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, last question is from Kevin. Uh, Kevin asks, was there a way to stop Millhatch's transformation? Um, and then there's a second question, but that's two separate questions. So start with that one. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, if if Jerome, it, given Eris's initial action of messing up the the panel that completely debilitated the machine, if then Jerome would have been like if Hob would have run up and started physically like keeping Jerome away from the the panel, then yeah, I mean there's there's no way logically that the transformation could have happened. So I I very much played it as logically as I could in world of like okay the panel's been destroyed, so Jerome's next step is going to be I need to fix this, and as long as nobody prevents me from fixing it i'm going to continue spending every turn rolling until i can get this thing going again Mm -hmm. uh because we've committed at this point so so yes there was a way to stop it it just wasn't going to be a single roll shot eris does it hooray roll credits kind of thing right uh so uh second question is the sky coach persona based on the star wars droid brain vehicle attachment presumably from the star wars rpg i haven't looked at all the vehicle attachments yet yet (laughs) (laughs) uh if that answer doesn't answer your question the answer is no No. um yeah that that was not an attachment that i i was familiar with when we were Uh, talking about that that was from the uh keyforge book um yeah Keyforge has a whole bunch of item customization things, and that's what we're using. Yep. The, the Amber uh, uh, crafting system is what we're using for Artifice. Uh, and so while the ship is an unconventional application of those, I think, um, mm-hmm. we applied the mind of its own uh, yeah. Amber effect to the, to the, to ship. the ship. Uh, so mechanically speaking, what that means, uh, if you, I can't remember if I explained this in in session, but mechanically, what that mean, what that means is that Tasha has three ranks in a skill piloting, uh, and also provides a boost die to that skill. And when Eris is flying Tasha, uh, I get to use her ranks instead of mine, instead of Eris's, which are none. Uh, yeah. So Tasha makes Eris much better at flying, essentially. So, um, and before we yeah. before we wrap up the episode, Randy very brought up a very good point that we did not we really didn't, discuss. Yeah, we didn't discuss the, the downtime. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> We've got some time, <laughs> and we uh, I entirely failed to skip off the down, skip over the downtime. So I'm sure that everyone will be thrilled at the next review to have Jeff back. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I totally skipped over the downtime. So let's return to that. So I want to know. So one, I mean, the big the bulk of the downtime was us grocery shopping. Uh, and yep. preparing things to bring. Uh, and I want to know, how did everyone decide what they would bring? Um, so, Trevor, Randy, how did you decide what Reynard and Milo would bring to the Unity dinner? Well, mine was pretty easy. Uh, Reynard likes to get drunk. So, <laughs> wine was <clears throat> at the top of the list. And then... Uh, just making it fun adding some other level of excitement <laughs> you know why not yep. <laughs> so there was not a lot of thought other than Raynard likes to get drunk and have fun <laughs> I mean that's yeah. yeah for Milo I was thinking that 
you know, what he's a halfling. What would be some things they might like? Because once upon a time, I'm sure it would have been Kylie going with and Kylie bringing, you know, mm-hmm. making something to take. But now it's kind of fallen to mom. So I decided, you know, what mm-hmm. what kind of halfling foods could there be? <laughs> and I just came up with sure. the, with the I don't even remember what it was, a uh, lamb something or other. Lamb mince pie. Yeah, lamb mince pie. Mutton mince pie. Mm-hmm. Yes, mutton mince pie. Um, well, and I love that uh, Reynard failed uh, the the Knowledge Society check to figure out the appropriate wine, and so got a very prank wine, gimmicky par- par- party wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about Eris? Uh, I wanted so I I hadn't really thought about what Eris likes to eat, uh, but for you know quite a long time, uh, Eris was eating food mostly of. Dargul origin and goblin origin and with Sharn having such a large goblin population I assumed that there's probably quite widely available uh, options so that it's probably a a fairly popular um, cuisine in Sharn as well Uh, and so I decided to just go with that is that she's probably continued to just sort of eat what she had gotten used to since Sharn has it available Uh, and so I decided to go with that and i was able to very happy to have the goblin glossary from exploring eberron lists some various goblin foods and so i grabbed three options from that um including a super super strong alcohol uh that didn't didn't end up getting any play but um oh yeah yeah Darn. that's okay and we we ran Reynard's we, we, we straight up <laughs> ran out of time. drunkenness yeah, yeah. We, we just straight up ran out of time and and you know i i wanted to um bring up that bit in in Eris uh yeah again and so it was an easy an easy opportunity to to do that and and get to go to the market um, for uh Kath and Sana's yeah. dishes I went to the gastronomy page on the Eberron wiki oh, that's and funny. they have listings of different dishes by country so that's funny um one of the brilliant dishes by the way on this this page is thrice poached eggs and that really bothers me and I just want to give a, a a notice if anybody goes to that don't ever poach your eggs three times like just poach them once yeah, for four minutes and then they're done that seems, you're just going to overcook them just, yeah why would you <laughs> that doesn't make any sense what kind of eggs I guess is the question it's a fantasy world so maybe there's a kind of egg that you must poach thrice otherwise it's deadly yes so anyway uh, yeah oh there was one question about that i don't remember where it was i didn't see it um but there was a question of most of us other than than reynard who who just went with drinks those all of us who brought food decided to have it homemade and someone asked was there anything that said we had to and no uh we were just expected to bring something yeah that was from richard yeah uh, asked that yeah, yeah. uh from Eris's perspective, if you ask Eris to bring something, she's going to make it. Like, there's not mm-hmm. a why. Why would you buy something that you can make? That's just silly. Um, I don't know the answer yeah. from Hobbs' perspective, but that's that's Eris's uh, view on that. But no, we were not obligated to 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 bake. We just all yeah. decided to. Um. um. Well, okay. Is there anything else anyone would like to bring up before we bring this uh, wild ride to a conclusion? I mean, I just want to say then we we kind of mentioned in the Discord. I think this the family dinner downtime episode may have been one of, if not my favorite episode that we've recorded for for either campaign. Just because I, even though there was so little dice rolling, like I loved the amount of insight we kind of got into not only each individual character but their their dynamics Mm. and the idea that milo and reynard are the drinking buddies that kind of get maybe a little wild but uh milo is the one who is very quickly to jump in when things go a bit too far and begin to start uh start sorting things out like milo is so quick to jump over and start talking to Catherine and be like i'm I'm so sorry Um, (laughs) or the idea that I mean, we we didn't really get uh, this is the first time that you've ever said regarding Eris. The Eris really hates small talk, but enjoys 
sharing stories and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And and we we hadn't gotten that before. I, I so. think it's probably Eris doesn't understand, doesn't know how to um, yeah. properly. Like Eris is obviously socially awkward, uh, but can speak very expertly on many things. Um, well, very expertly on one thing, uh, but competently on many things. And so she needs a topic. Well, and I, I what the other thing I really liked is the fact that uh, when at the top of the episode, I asked like, OK, who has been and who has not been? Hmm. And when you and Randy responded with you had, you didn't just say yes. You like provided some further context for whether or not like in Milo's case, you've gone regularly. Eris goes out of obligation and then why Reynard and Hob haven't gone. And so that gave a lot of a lot of texture for how sauna would try to convince everybody and get everybody together Mm -hmm. and getting to see sauna and Kath's personalities come out a lot more. Cause I think we've got given sigil a lot of really good play and they have gotten their chance to, to shine. And I think this was the first chance for sauna and Kath to really get that, that opportunity as well to start making their personalities known a bit more. So I really like that. Yeah, no, I did too. I, I, I liked, I, we all expressed this at the end. I desperately wish we had gotten to do more of the dinner party. Like I, it was already a long episode. I wish we could have just yeah. gone on and done more of the dinner party. Um, Cause it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I was, it was very interesting to meet uh, some of the NPCs families and that sort of thing. And I'm terrified yeah. because inevitably they will have to all die tragically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, in the, in, in the season, in the, uh, season one, uh, finale. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that's not actually, Eric's not that horrifyingly cruel. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I, I agree. I liked that episode a lot. Any thoughts on the family dinner episode from Milo or Reynard's perspective? I mean, Milo, you've kind of spoken about it a bit, but I thought it was fun. It's yeah. just, it's just it was a kind of a chill episode, but some still good stuff happened. So, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of like Philip. I was kind of hoping that you know more at the party, more mingling, how we yeah, interacted and, with others there. But like, and said, when I was planning was out the, uh, yeah, when I was planning out the idea of the episode, the the party definitely played a more central role. But at the same time, I really like the the dynamic that we got and, and having some like the tension between sauna and hob and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I, uh, I, I've always told myself that the reason I like the downtime episodes is they're given a chance to breathe and I don't have to push you all along as much as a normal session. And so I tried to stick with that and be like, no, they, they want to go grocery shopping. They want to spend meaningful time doing this. So let's do it. Let's introduce Jorgen, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 the wine cellar, uh, who we had another question asking if the wine cellar had a wine cellar and one assumes, I mean, probably, um, <laughs> so yeah. Although does uh, it count as a seller in Sharn? I, I, I don't know. Like, isn't that just a uh, lower yeah. floor of a tower? <laughs> I'm just mad that I didn't think of that pun on my own. um but yeah richard did ask about the wine cellar but then asked about the condescending tone and Mm. if it's somebody from reynard's past with an aster grind or a grape to stomp um Uh. no this i i just wanted to have a really snooty pretentious person selling wine like that that seemed uh i was trying to evoke uh very much kind of the the food critic from ratatouille um just that that very snobbish uh purveyor of food and drink so yeah anyway it was a fun episode i liked it it was uh all right well i believe that brings this episode of eberron reviewed to a conclusion uh if you would like to be a part of the conversation you can head on over to our facebook page uh the geek pantheon uh, you can also find us at thegeekpantheon.com and on our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash thegeekpantheon, where you can usually find sort of the, the hub of all of our activity and posts and uh, videos and that sort of thing. We're also on all the social media, Instagram, YouTube, um, Twitter, 
Uh, and of course, um, as since we have a Patreon, uh, at both of our Patre- at both our Patreon and on our Facebook page, you can find a link to our Discord, which is the easiest way by far to become a part of the conversation, the community. We've got a great yeah. community on our Patreon. Uh, we have numerous tiers that are just um, or numerous uh, channels for discussion of our various shows, uh, as well as general geekiness. And then there are also a number of Patreon patron exclusive channels uh, that will get you a little more direct access uh, to us. And if you want to be able to have your questions answered on Eberron Reviewed, you can uh, sign up for uh, our Patreon, uh, as that's where all the questions that we have answered came from. They came from channels uh, exclusive to our wonderful and generous patrons uh, who make it possible for us to record this show with any kind of quality at all. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, thanks so much for listening. This has been Eberron Reviewed. I am probably never again going to be allowed to be your host, Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy. And I'm Eric. And we'll see you next time. Bye.